Well, let's get started in our teaching this morning by opening our Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 13. We're continuing in our series on the life of David, and so we are going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 13 this morning. If you don't have your Bible with you, that's okay, because we'll have the passage up on the screens next to me, so that you'll be able to follow along, no one will be left behind. We're in 2 Samuel chapter 13 today. If you've already turned there, you might be surprised by the title. If you've been with us in this series, then you know that we've read and studied all of the episodes in David's life. We have not skipped any of them, even the hard passages. We've looked at his victories, like you know him defeating Goliath early in his life. We looked at his defeats, like his affair and, uh, with Bathsheba. Uh, we've looked at all the episodes, and this today includes one of the, one of the hard episodes in the life of David, one that we uh, might be tempted to skip over whether it be in our own devotional reading or whether it be in a series, but we believe in, uh, we believe in what Paul wrote in 1 Timothy, that all Scripture is breathed out for our edification and for our uh, benefit, for God's grace to be uh, shown to us. And so that's why we're not skipping today as, uh, either. All right, here we are in 2 Samuel chapter 13, and we will start in verse 1. Some time passed. David's son, Absalom, had a beautiful sister named Tamar. And David's son, Amnon, was infatuated with her. Amnon was, in fact, was uh, frustrated to the point of making himself sick over his sister Tamar because she was a virgin. But it seemed impossible to do anything to her. Amnon had a friend named Jonadab, a son of David's brother, Shemaiah. Jonadab was a very shrewd man. And he asked Amnon, why are you, the king's son, so miserable every morning? Won't you tell me? Amnon replied, I'm in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Jonadab said to him, lie down on your bed and pretend you're sick. When your father comes to see you, say to him, please let my sister Tamar come and give me something to eat. Let her prepare a meal in my presence so I can watch and eat from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be sick. When the king came to see him, Amnon said to him, please let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my presence so I can eat from her hand. David sent word to Tamar at the palace, please go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare a meal for him. Then Tamar Tamar went to his house while Amnon was lying down. She took dough, kneaded it, made cakes in his presence, and baked them. She brought the pan and set it down in front of him, but he refused to eat. Amnon said, everyone leave me, and everyone left him. Bring the meal to the bedroom, Amnon told Tamar, so I can eat from your hand. Tamar took the cakes she had made and went to her brother Amnon's bedroom. When she brought them to him to eat, he grabbed her and said, come sleep with me, my sister. Don't, my brother, she cried. Don't disgrace me, for such a thing should never be done in Israel. Don't commit this outrage. Where could I ever go with my humiliation? And you, you would be like one of the uh, outrageous fools in Israel. Please speak to the king, for he won't keep me from you. But he refused to listen to her. Because he was stronger than she, he disgraced her by raping her. So Amnon hated Tamar with such intensity 
The hatred he hated her with was greater than the love he had loved her with. Get out of here, he said. No, she cried. Sending me away is much worse than the great wrong you've already done to me. But he refused to listen to her. Instead, he called the servant who waited on him. Get this away from me. Throw her out and bolt the door behind her. Amnon's servant threw her out and bolted the door behind her. Now Tamar was wearing a long-sleeved robe because this is what the king's virgin daughters wore. Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long-sleeved robe she was wearing. She put her hand on her head and went away, crying out. Her brother Absalom said to her, Has your brother Amnon been with you? Be quiet for now, my sister. He is your brother. Don't take this thing to heart. So Tamar lived as a desolate woman in the house of her brother Absalom. When King David heard about all these things, he was furious. Absalom didn't say anything to Amnon, either good or bad, because he hated Amnon, since he disgraced his sister Tamar. Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you all so much for being here. Uh, My name is Jacob Phillips. I'm one of the leadership residents here at Redeemer, and that means that uh, I get really cool opportunities uh, to to expand in ministry like preaching uh, to the congregation. So I'm pumped about uh, today. Uh, So a few weeks ago, uh, when Aaron, uh, our lead pastor, had come back uh, from sabbatical, he had uh, set me up for... uh, he, he had set the, uh, the time when I was going to come preach again, uh, which was this date. And so we had, we had met up, and we were just talking about, um, um, about the summer and how everything had went and things like that. And so I asked him, I said, hey, I saw that you had uh, scheduled me to preach. Uh, am I preaching within the sermon series, or am I preaching uh, on something else? And he said, oh, I think, I think the, uh, the passages are already on there, so uh, you should need to check that out. So I went back home, uh, checked the passages for, for what I was going to be preaching on, uh, which was 2 Samuel 13. I read the passage, and uh, then I was in shock that he uh, was going to be giving me this passage to preach from. Uh, and I, I said that to our, our Redeemer team, our, our group chat, and, uh, and he was like, oh my gosh, I didn't, I didn't proofread it before I had scheduled you. You know, do you want to switch or anything like that? And I was like, no, no, I'll, I'll take on the challenge. Um, but I do think that there is maybe some hazing going on because he made me read the story of Bathsheba a couple weeks ago. Now I get, now I get this sermon. Uh, but look, all, all jokes aside, you know, like Aaron said, when we come across a passage like this that is just so full of, of, of atrocities, right, and there's even more uh, that we didn't read, but, you know, we can think, man, what, why is this here? What, why is this in Scripture? What, what does this have to apply to my life today, right? Like, what, what can I learn from this? And again, I was for sure thinking that same thing when I, when I first started reading this, preparing. But uh, in all honesty, there is so much for us to learn in this passage about sin. Uh, this, this passage is full of sin. And so today we, we're going to be talking about the effects of sin in our lives as we see it here in this passage today. Uh, and, and first, before we jump into those effects, I, I kind of want to talk about more of an, an overarching uh, thing having to do with sin, and, and that sin has a downstream effect. Um, like Aaron said, we've been talking the past couple weeks uh, about, about David's life, about, uh, about his sins, uh, specifically with Bathsheba in chapter 11, right? And that downstream effect, uh, we see that here with his son's today, right? In the same way, uh, 
David uh, with Bathsheba. He, he abuses his power by, by sleeping with someone uh, who is not his wife, who is married. Uh, and then now here in 13, we see Amnon, we see his son uh, abusing his standing by committing this atrocious sin against his sister. And then in chapter 11, David abuses uh, his power by having Uriah, the husband of Bathsheba, murdered on the battlefield. And, and later on, if you, if you want to go and read the rest of this passage after today, uh, Absalom, uh, another one of David's sons, he plots and, and has Amnon eventually murdered, uh, as we see in the rest of this passage. So really, we're seeing just these parallels in this downstream effect uh, of sin from David's life down through his family. And so I don't want to miss uh, that as we're going through the, the series as a whole uh, to see the effects of sin uh, and, and what it has on our lives. So now let's go on to the main effects of sin that we see specifically in this passage today. Uh, and the first effect uh, of sin in our lives is that sin makes you distort reality. If we look back at, at verse 4, uh, Amnon replies that this is my brother Absalom's sister, right? Like, he, he can't even, like, say that that is his sister. He's so caught up with his sin, and, and he's been allowing this, this lust and this infatuation in his heart for so long that he is just completely avoiding what is true and what is correct. Um, and, and another way that it's distorting reality is that he thinks that he is actually in love with Tamar when he is simply just lusting over her. Right, so he is—he's completely distorted and bought into all of these lies um, because he's just allowed sin in his life over and over. And look, of course, we see this and we think, "Oh my gosh, this is gross. This is detestable. This person is is evil." And we're right in thinking that, right? Like, of course, it, this this scenario, this this scene is gross. It is detestable, and yet we fall into the same trap that Amnon falls into here. Now, probably, obviously not to this level, to this extent, I hope, but, but we do allow sin to distort our reality. We buy into the lies that, that this over here will bring us comfort and joy, that, that this is all I need and then I'll be happy. Um, we have our reality distorted by a couple of different ways, right? We have uh, addictions that come about in our lives, like, like pornography or drugs or alcohol or, or something else, right? We buy into the lie that, that that thing is going to ultimately help us out with, with whatever the situation, situation may be, right? That, that this is going to be good for me, um, but in reality, whatever short-term fix it might have, it, it usually creates even longer-term damage. Right, but even even not with uh, addictions, we also idolize things and people uh, to the point where we become reliant on them. Right? How often do we think that? I mean, if I had just this amount of money, I'd be happy. Right? If if I could just find my spouse, I'd be happier. If my spouse would just act this way, I'd be happy. If I could just get to this weight, or if I just looked like this, then I'd be happy. These things aren't always, you know, bad things necessarily, but when we're putting them on a pedestal, we're putting them in a place that they should have never have been, right? We're putting expectations on these things to, to help us or to fill in the gaps uh, where God is supposed to be, where, where God is supposed to be on that pedestal. And, and we're putting these idols, when we do this, when we put them before God, it distorts what is true and what we should be pursuing. And, and honestly, it is sinful 
we don't want to view it that way, right? Because, well, this is just what I'm supposed to be doing, right? This is, this is like, this is my goal and, and everything like that. But that's the distortion of reality right there, that we're lying to ourselves and that anything that we're putting before God is an idol and that it's sinful, that this is, this is I think I know best for myself, right? And so when it comes to these distortions, there's a couple of ways um, that can really help us uh, reel us back into the truth, right? Number one is godly community. Uh, friends that can call us out on our stuff, like call us out on our sins, that they can call us out when they, they're seeing that our focus, our goals are, are kind of oriented towards something that's not God, right? Those friends are incredibly valuable. So I, I urge you, find those friends and, and also be those friends to people. We should be in the habit of rebuking one another. And I think that's something that often we're too scared to do, right? Well, what if, you know, they, they don't take it well? Like, what if, what if they throw something that I've done back in my face? Um, but whatever the case may be that is keeping you from doing that, we are all called to do that. James 5, 19 through 20 says, My brothers and sisters, if any among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. And we need to take this story as a warning that we should always be kind to one another by rebuking outward sin or sins that they have sinned against us, right? We need to obviously be careful, making sure that we're not coming at them with a, with a prideful perspective or that we just simply know best, right? No, we need to make sure that we are loving and gracious and caring when we do this because, listen, we never know who might be hurting next if we ignore rebuking someone, right? There are several instances in this passage where Amnon specifically uh, is not rebuked for any of his sin, and that just continuously leads to more and more sin. And obviously, we're not liable for someone else's sin, but we are liable for not rebuking someone, something that we are called to do. We also must make sure that we're staying rooted in Scripture, right? This is Christianity 101. Make sure that you are putting God's words uh, in your heart daily. That, that will help us to set our minds and our hearts on the things above, the things that we are, are supposed to be thinking of, the things that we're supposed to be pursuing after, right? And, and if, we, if we do this, this will help fight these distortions. It will help us fight the, the sin of idolization because we can remember that God is supposed to be on that pedestal, that we're putting whatever it might be uh, in his way. So friends, don't fall into the trap and the lie of idolization. Uh, call sin what it is. Flee from it. Uh, surround yourself with that godly community. Rebuke one another in love and, and make sure that you are staying rooted in scripture. And look, if, if you're not surrounding yourself and with godly community in scripture, if we, if we move along, we can see right here where that leads someone, which is directly into their sins. Uh, early on in the story that we read, we are introduced to this character, Jonadab. Uh, and Jonadab is his family. He's, he's a cousin of Amnon and, and a friend. And, and Jonadab checks in with Amnon, and, and he asks him why he's so miserable. And, of course, Amnon uh, tells him uh, the, the reason. What should Jonadab's normal response be? Like, hey, maybe let's not do that. Like, like what is wrong with you? Um, find someone else, please. Like, you know, and, and 
this is not just him saying like he's got a crush on someone. Like he's saying that he is miserably in love with his sister. But Jonadab, I want us to see this. Jonadab, without skipping skipping a beat, shows us exactly the kind of man that he is. Right? He devises a plan for Amnon to continue in his sin. He he creates this plan for Amnon to to carry this out. And and what he does is he adds to the confusion of his sin, and he encourages that sinful behavior of Amnon. And so our second effect that that what sin has on our lives is that it makes us ignore the wisdom of God and instead listen to the world. There are several verses in the law that are explicit that in what Amnon was doing was evil. Uh, Leviticus 18.9 and Leviticus 20.17 are a couple just off the top. and so if Amnon had written God's word on his heart, he, he could have avoided this whole catastrophe. I think it's safe to assume that Amnon, being a son of David, growing up in that household, would have been taught the law. And so if he had, had just taken that in and, again, just studied it, he would have known and, and been able to call himself out on this. Um, but again, we, we look and we say, man, how foolish is Amnon? And yet we do the same thing every day, right? I need to hear God's word every day because otherwise I'm going to fall into the same trap of, of listening to the advice of the world, pursuing the things of the world because that's what everyone else is, is supposed to be doing, right? Um, there, was a, there was a buddy of mine a few years back. Uh, he got this incredible ministry opportunity, and, uh, and he was really excited about it, and, and he, was, he was pumped about it. This is something that he had been looking forward to that he wanted for a really long time. Um, but before, after he had accepted it, he started falling into uh, some sinful behavior. He started falling into a path that he definitely shouldn't have been on. And for whatever reason, he kept applying to different internships and things like that, even though he had already committed uh, his summer away for, for this thing. And he gets accepted uh, for this internship with this company. Uh, and, and he comes to me and tells me, not asking me advice on, on what he should do, on, on what the situation is, you know, should I take this, should I continue with my commitment? But he just tells me that he had been seeking advice from different people, and um, I could tell immediately this was not godly advice, and, and because he said over and over, you know, I think I'm just going to follow my heart on this. I think this is what I'm supposed to do. I think this is where I'm supposed to be, and I'm going to follow my heart on this. And obviously, if he had been listening to God's word, God's word says the heart is deceitful. Um, and also, just practically speaking, uh, why would God open a door for you to, to do this ministry opportunity only to back out of that commitment a few months before and, and do something else, right? And, and this internship was, was just him going to be working remotely in his apartment the whole summer, nine to five, working minimum wage. So it, it just didn't make any sense to me, um, but I could tell that my friend... Uh, was not seeking God's word. He was not seeking the wisdom of the world, and or wisdom of, of God, instead seeking the wisdom of the world. And uh, if you talk to him today, uh, I've, I've talked to him about the situation since, and every time he says, man, I made the wrong decision. I regretted it, and it, and it spiraled me out um, into places that I, I should not have been. Psalms 1, 1 through 2 said, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. And I want us to see this, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. And Galatians 3.24 says, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, so that we might be justified by faith. 
the law, obviously, for us today is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And if we're writing that on our hearts every single day, delighting in that law, as, as Psalm says, meditating on that law day and night, that can, that can keep us from falling and, and entangling ourselves in the so-called wisdom of the world. So I urge you, make sure that you're staying true to God's word, lest you get caught up in that worldly advice and, and fall away from, from what God has called you to do. Uh, our, our next point is that sin makes us avoid repentance. So after Jonadab's advice, Amnon goes through with his plan. He tries to seduce his sister, and, and she rightly knows this is absolutely wrong. She calls him out on it, and he does not listen to her. And instead, uh, we see him commit this horrific sin against his sister. Uh, this lust that Amnon had allowed to overtake him, uh, it continually t- made him choose the wrong path, right? Even after the sin he has committed, he has an opportunity to at least try to make amends, right? His sister tells him that, that, you know, basically we can try and work something out. But instead, he chooses hatred, and, and he casts her out, an incredibly, incredibly sad scene. Amnon over and over chooses sin over doing what is right, which is repenting. And we not only see the sin from Amnon, but also from his other brother, Absalom. Uh, Absalom, after hearing this, wells up anger in his heart, which is rightfully so. He has a right to be uh, angry about the situation. Um, But if you read on in the chapter, instead of trying to bring out real justice by uh, going to uh, his father, the king, to try to get something done about this or or letting God uh, take care of it, he lets his anger build for years. And Absalom allows his hatred to just boil in his heart, and he plots evil against his brother, leading to his brother being murdered later on in the chapter. And how easy is it for us to fall in the same cycle, right? Maybe we sin, and instead of repenting of that sin, instead of turning away from that sin, we just pile on, right? I think sometimes this can happen in arguments. Uh, For me, uh, unfortunately, anytime I, I do something wrong, uh, my wife calls me out on it, and, and rightly so. But instead of me taking the right path and saying, okay, I'm sorry, you're right about this, uh, I just end up making things worse, right? I, I end up adding on to, to the argument instead of, instead of just taking that rebuking correctly, right? And, and sometimes, uh, like Amnon, we, we struggle with pride, right? And maybe sometimes we sin and we realize that that what we did doesn't actually make the situation better, right? Here in Lafayette, we have horrific traffic all the time. And so we're driving down Johnston and we're just allowing that anger to, to well in our hearts, right? We're, we're allowing that to just build up. We're not, we're not taking that away. We're not giving that to God. We're just allowing it. And then what happens? Someone cuts you off. Someone pulls out in front of you. And then you know, you, you flip them the finger or something. You, you let an obscenity fly. And it never makes the situation better, does it? Like, we're, we're repaying evil with evil, right? Or, or maybe you were sinned against. And, and instead of giving that to God, or instead of approaching that person and saying, hey, you know, th- this hurt me, or this hurt my friend, or this hurt whoever, we end up taking matters into our own hands. Maybe... Uh, it, it leads to, to hatred against that person. Maybe it leads to gossip and slandering against that person. You try to rally the troops against whoever it is instead of actually handling it correctly, right? 
sin will unfortunately be a part of our lives uh, until we get to heaven, but we don't have to allow our sin to spiral us out of control like we see the characters in this story. We need to be in the habit of, of repenting of our sins. And I think we throw around that word repentance a lot, right? It's a churchy word, and so we hear it all the time. We say it flippantly maybe sometimes without even remembering what it means, right, which is to turn away from your sin, not just say, I repent half-heartedly in a prayer and then walk down the same exact path that leads you to that sin time and time again. That is not true repentance. Repentance means that you are giving it up to God and turning away from it. Uh, I heard a pastor one time say that your sin is saying something that you believe about God, right? Whatever it is that you are filling in the gaps of, that's what you're saying about God. So maybe you don't feel like you can fully trust or rely on him for comfort or provider, right? So you idolize work and money because you don't trust him in that way and you turn to those things or maybe you don't feel like he, he fully satisfies and so you turn to, to different earthly pleasures, whatever it may be that is uh, making you af- afraid to repent because you don't want to give those things up, we need to take stock in our hearts about these sins and, and giving that to God. Whatever it is that you're not trusting with to him, s- surrender it to him. Uh, earlier this week, Aaron and I were talking about this, this message, and, and he was explaining to me that the Hebrew word for repentance has this implication of, of homecoming, of coming home. And of course, that immediately makes me think of the prodigal son, right? The story where uh, the son takes the inheritance, thinks he's living the life that he's supposed to live, instead ends up in pig slop, and then goes home to, uh, to his father, who of course is waiting there uh, with open arms for him. And the same is true for us, uh, that when we repent of our sin, our Father is waiting there uh, with open arms. We are, uh, he is neither farther or closer, depending on our actions. He is right where he needs to be always. And so I encourage us, act quickly on your sin. Don't be afraid of repentance like the people in this passage. Uh, come home to the Father. And finally, what we can learn uh, about sin in this passage is that sin is damaging. As we see Amnon's sin against Tamar, uh, she tells him that, that she would be humiliated, that she would be disgraced because of this. And then once she's sent off, she, she tears her garment and, and has to live desolate now in her brother's house. And now she, because of Amnon's sin and because of David's inaction, has to live in shame. We see David angry and, and sorrowful uh, towards the actions of, of Amnon and then eventually of Absalom at the end of the chapter. And, and then finally we see Absalom being affected and, and choosing sin uh, over, over doing what is right. And I think so often we don't consider the damage that sin can and will have on our lives. That we think, oh, no one can see that I'm doing this. That this, this won't hurt anyone uh, and this is such a devious lie that we tend to tell ourselves, that we tend to fall into. I'll just look one last time, one, one more sip, one more, one more text or, or conversation, right? And, but it says in Scripture, your sins will find you out. Everything that is done in the dark will be brought into life, into the light. And whatever it may be that we think that can't hurt anyone, uh, our sin has, has a spiraling effect that if we are, are not giving that up to God, if we're not handling it, that it can ruin our lives, it can ruin our families' lives, our friends, affect our, our jobs, our integrity, our, our reputation, and, and our witness. But even if, say, your sin doesn't 
hurt someone directly, right? Our sin is still grieving the Spirit, and we should want to avoid sin so that we don't live in disobedience to God. Ephesians 4, 30 through 31 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. And finally, when we buy into the lie that our sin doesn't affect anyone, we're lying to ourselves because sin deeply affects us. Trying to excuse our sin as, as not affecting someone else completely ignores the effects it has in our own lives. Because if we, if we believe this, we're only going to continue to live in bondage because we're excusing the sin by just saying it's not hurting anyone. But it, it's, it's just spiraling us out of control the whole time. I think maybe similar to repentance, we're afraid of confessing sin because maybe we don't want anyone to know. Maybe we don't want to give that up because of you know, some of the things that we talked about before. But as Christians, we should not fear sin being brought into the light. We should rather delight in it. Uh, Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And Hebrews 12.11 says, For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Being, being disciplined and, and confessing these sins is good. This is a good thing for us. Even though it may hurt, like this verse says, it is good for you. It will only build you up in the end. And so we must fight this lie that, that sin won't do any harm to anyone or won't damage anyone. Uh, we must fight this so that we can honor God, so that we can be free from the chains of sin, so that we can grow in Christ. Now, look, we've talked a lot about sin today in this passage, right? It, it can seem really doom and gloom reading a story like this. Uh, we can look at this and, and just be, again, confused. Why? Why is this here? This is so heavy. This is such heavy uh, things that are happening. But we must remember that there is good news. We first need to be reminded of Christ's work on the cross, right? The gospel, the sacrifice that was paid by our Savior so that we don't have to live in bondage anymore, right? The sacrifice that was paid so that we can be broken from the chains of sin. We have a loving God and a powerful Savior that wants to free us from our sin and wants to have that relationship with us. This is the good news. That's the gospel. We also need to be reminded that we have a God that is not inactive. We have a God that can work with us despite our sin. David, we've seen his sin. We've seen now the downstream effect of his sin on his family, and we'll see more of that uh, as we go on in this series. But David is called a man after God's own heart, despite God knowing the sins that he would commit and the downstream effect that that would have uh, for him and for his family. And I want to remind us, do you know who's in the genealogy of Jesus Christ that is shown in the New Testament? David is, right? And so Despite all of this, God was, was still working. We can sometimes think only of our situation, right? Whether we are dealing with sin, struggling with sin, or whether we've been sinned against. But we need to remind ourselves that we need to zoom out so that we can see the gospel at work, that we can see God at work. If we zoom out from this story, all of this, we're, we see this isolated incident. We think, oh my gosh, how awful. But if we zoom out, we see that God is working the entire time bringing about his one true King Jesus through the life of David, despite all of these sins. And God is doing the same things in our lives, that he is doing his will through us if we zoom out and just see the gospel at work.
And so look, as we close, I've said a few times already, sin is going to be something that we deal with, but we don't have to allow sin to dictate our lives like we see in the characters in this story. We don't have to have sin ruining our lives like we see the characters in the story. So I want to urge us, let's be a church that, that hates and repents of our sin, that rebukes one another, that does not buy into the lies uh, that sin will try to feed us, that is not damaging, that, that it, our reality is being distorted, and that looks to the cross instead for restoration. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you so much uh, for your word. Uh, even when uh, there are passages like this that are, are tough, Lord, we, we see you at work no matter what, God. So I just pray that we would be reminded of this, um, that we would, we would deal and act quickly with our sin by giving that to you, confessing to one another, Lord, and, and constantly looking to the cross and, and putting your word on our hearts. I pray that we can do this throughout this week, Lord. We love you so much. Thank you in your name. Amen.